Well, tonight we are in Romans chapter 14, and I want to give a little recap about last week just to set you up for this chapter. In Romans chapter 13, we discussed the message last week, true authority, that all authority, everyone shouted all authority, all authority comes from God, and we all have a call to be submissive in order to be placed for strategic warfare in line with the Father. We talked about how we are even to be called, called to be submissive to authority we don't agree with so that we can get strategically placed to war in a more effective way. We're called to not take revenge. We're called not to puff ourselves up. But it seems like every time the church disagrees with something, the first thing we think about is let's, let's cause a riot or let's rebel. Well, the scriptures tell us Submit to authorities so that God can strategically fight against the evil. You overcome evil with good. We talked about how Peter, he submitted to the authorities when he got put in jail. And by the end of the day, God took him out of the prison. Because he would not obey their command to shut up about Jesus. But he submitted to the consequences. He wasn't going to shut his mouth, but he submitted to the consequences of going to prison. And because of that, God honored him and said, no prison cell can hold you, Peter. Are y'all awake? Yeah. Submission. So today, we're going to go into Romans 14, but I want to read two verses out of last week to set this up. And it's in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 and 10. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Verse 10, love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. We have an obligation above all else to love one another. And the reason love fulfills the requirements of God's law is if when you find you have no love of God coming from an action, a root of sin is therefore exposed. It's easy to point out the sin, but difficult sometimes to figure out where the sin is rooted. It's easy to say someone got drunk. It's hard to figure out why. Okay? Sin is rooted in a place of a lack of revelation of how much God loves you. And how much you have value in yourself. Even in the scripture last week, it used the example of murder. If you murder... It reveals two things. You've got no love for that life, but there's also a root that there is no love for your own life because the consequences of what you just did do not affect the value you place on yourself. All sin is rooted in the fact that you don't love yourself in that place. And the reason you don't love yourself is because you don't see yourself as God sees you. And when we believe in him, he says, you're worthy, you're perfected, you're righteous. Now walk in that way. Present yourself as an offering because I've made you acceptable to be an offering. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? So love does no wrong. It fulfills the requirements of the law. What are the requirements of the law? I'm setting y'all up, so just bear with me. The point of the law is to reveal what in you is godly and what is not. 
So love fulfills the law because love fulfills what the law is supposed to do. Show you what's godly, shows you what's not. How do I know? You show me where you don't love, I'll show you where you're not godly. It fulfills the requirements. It, the, the Bible even says God is love. So if you don't have love, then that's a place of your life where you're lacking a revelation of who you are in Christ. Does that make sense? Which brings us to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 verse 1 says this. Accept other believers who are weak in faith. I know all y'all strong, so y'all can't identify with this. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and do not argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Just leave that up there for a while. Accept other believers who are weak in their faith and do not argue. Do not argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. People love to argue about everything. And especially in the church. People love to nitpick over every single thing the church accepts or the church does or how the worship gathering goes or what the preacher says. We love to nitpick and argue over anything. And the reason we love to argue is because we want to present ourselves as more knowing than we really are. We try to one-up spiritual maturity. Well, I know you know this, but let me tell you why you're wrong. Right? I know you think you got this right, but let me show you how you don't have anything right. We love to argue about any little thing in Scripture. And one of the things that we get caught up in is making spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship and unity. We have this idea that if you're going to walk with me, you need to be at my level. If you're going to walk with me, you got to be where I'm at because I don't have time to teach you. Anybody ever experienced this? We love to create a divide between those who are spiritually mature and those who we call spiritually immature. But we have to realize that there is a difference between someone who is weak in their faith and someone who is rebellious in their faith. You can't be rebellious to something that you are not aware of. But you can be weak to the place of not being brought there because of your ignorance of not knowing where to go. There's weak people and there's rebellious people. I know the way, but I'm going to do my own way. There's weak people or immature people in the faith who do something and they just simply do not know what they're doing. And instead of meeting them where they're at to help grow them, you place a divide because they are not worthy to be around oh so holy you. And everyone does it. I do it sometimes. Can I... Good night. I think the kids just gave me an amen. 
Even I do it sometimes. Can I be real and transparent? Sometimes I get tired of talking to pastors in public because I think, man, you stupid. Is that okay? Can I, can I just, sometimes I get tired of talking about religious stuff. I get so sick and tired when I go to a coffee shop and I see a pastor and I just want to talk about like how your day is going and the first thing they say is, how many people did you run this weekend? I don't know. <laughs> and you know, and the rebellious fleshly side of me wants to say probably more than you, but I don't. Come on, y'all, let's get real. Y'all know y'all had those times where y'all just want to buck up against someone. We love to try to create this I'm better thing, right? The church is the worst at it. I do it all the time. The, fir the first thing I, well, what kind of church are you with? And if they say Baptist, I think. <laughs> I grew up that way, right? But I, I, sometimes I get in this trap of, oh, look where I'm at, and oh, so pitiful you, look where you're at. We all do it, right? There are many reasons, though, for spiritual immaturity. There's new believers. They've never been raised up. There's believers who have been raised up in legalism. And they think that their legalism is godliness, right? There are those raised up with no teaching, you think you know stuff, but you sound pretty dumb, right? Maybe they simply need edification, and they haven't gotten it because they never had true mothers and fathers in their lives. And where you look at them as spiritually immature, they just need you to tell them, you're doing great. But they've never gotten that, so they're at this place of immaturity. They don't know how to move forward, or they can't move forward, or they're at this standstill. And we have to look at the state of immaturity, and, 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 and we, we, we've got to stop creating this place of separation, and we've got to start saying, how do I get down to the why of why they're immature? Not looking down on them because they're in a different place than you are. And it's funny, I was preaching this message, and Someone asked me this week, like, do you think sometimes that you're better or relentless is better than other places because of the way you preach? And I thought to myself, sometimes. That's a joke. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, no, I don't think that this church is better because I see some things we get right, but I know a lot of stuff we get wrong, Right? And I think we all need to take a posture of humility of, God, where do you want to grow me? God, where do you want to grow us? And I'm not going to be so immature in who I am that I'm going to let someone's um, journey with God cause separation if I feel like they're not at where I'm at. And Paul gives an example of this going on. And so he says in verse 2, for instance, one person believes it's right to eat anything. A freaking men. But, y'all right? But another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Oh, y'all thought vegan and vegetarian was a new concept? <laughs> Paul talks about a big issue back in this day. You see, some Christians believed it was okay to eat anything you could get your hands on. 
Some believed it was only okay to eat vegetables. The ones that thought it was only uh, th- that we should only eat vegetables, some it was because of they were fearful. They were fearful that maybe the meat they were eating was at one time sacrificed to a pagan god. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The others, they were just in their legalistic mindset of Jewish tradition. Of what was kosher, what wasn't, what was pure, what was impure. Some did not eat meat, some did. And in Paul's mind, he's actually talking about in the scripture, the weaker one is the one who is more strict and caught up in their legalism. Okay? He says, he calls them the one with the sensitive conscience. The weaker ones he's talking about are those who are legalistic and you better get it all right or you are going to not be able to see and meet and know God. They are hung up on traditions and ways and what they think is right. And because of this, they're starting to create a divide in the church of we believe this way and we believe that way and if we don't agree, we can't commune together and we can't do life together. And that's exactly where the church is at in 2021. There's over like 40,000 denominations in the world just in Christianity and we call ourselves unified? Give me a break. Even in Pooler on Highway 80, Every, you know, one second, there's another church and another church and another church. And I guarantee you, if we got all the pastors together, everyone would think that they were right. And no one will be open to correction. Amen. See, it wasn't that the believer was weak in their life as a believer. It was that they were weak because they had a legalistic attitude that actually affected their ability to love other people. They felt like if we got it all right, then you are cut off and you're not worthy and therefore you are not worthy of any service I give to you and serving people is the love of God. Everyone had different convictions of how to do life. Everyone still has convictions about how to do life. You have people who believe this. You have people who believe that. You have people that interpret this. You have people that interpret that. But really what it comes down to is that it becomes an issue when it creates a separation from where love cannot operate. We cannot get so caught up in how we do things that it creates a divide or creates an inability for us to love all believers. We are in a movement right now in this house. And I speak very boldly about certain things from what I hear. But we can never let the boldness of truth exalt ourselves above others. And we can never let where we stand in a belief or a practice cause us to feel like we are at a higher stage of maturity or that they are not worthy to be where we're at. The funny thing is the ones in this passage who are weak thought they were strong. 
And because of that, they were like, we ain't got time for you. Y'all eat whatever you want. You've got no regard for tradition. You've got no regard for what our tradition says. Therefore, we're going to separate. And we do the same thing today. I hear people argue all the time. Well, the Bible says every time you meet together, you're supposed to take communion. And then arguments start. Well, I believe the church is supposed to take communion every time we meet together on Saturdays and Sundays. And then the other side says, well, I commune with God when I'm simply with others in his presence. It's a different interpretation of communion. Y'all understand it? We, we, we do the, well, why don't we have prayer every day? Like IHOP. We ain't IHOP. Why is it that, you know, well, back in my day, well, back in your day, from what I see in this nation, didn't work. Is that, oh, I'm sorry, is that too much? <laughs> we do all that today. Every point that is so seemingly minuscule, we create division. You don't believe in tongues? Well, you don't look like love. Right? Oh, you don't believe in the fivefold giftings. And then the people that do are like, well, you're not spiritually mature because you don't know what the giftings are. Even though they may be walking in giftings just, and they just don't know they are. And instead of walking in this journey of God, where do you want to take us? We're at this pause because we're looking around going, who am I better than because of my walk with Christ? And God's like, what are you doing to my body? I want you to be one, and I want you to be together. And everything about you has been cut off from one another because you want to make your finger better than the big toe. It's created a vibe because we've allowed those issues to cause us not to love. You know what 1 John 4 says in verse 7 through 8? Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. If you don't know how to love, you don't know who he is. There's a difference between knowing of someone and knowing someone intimately. I can read all the facts in the world about William Shakespeare. And I can quote some of his plays. Not right now. <laughs> but that don't mean I knew Sir William. But we do the same thing with Jesus. Everyone can quote John 3.16 and they can give me, don't worry, be anxious for nothing. But that don't mean you know him. And the reason I can tell if you know him or not is if you do one thing or not. Love. And if there's no love in you, you don't know my God. And unfortunately, half the church in America obviously don't know the one that they claim to worship. Because just because you call him Lord doesn't mean he is your Lord. Don't call him Lord and he asks you to do something and you never follow through with it. If he's your Lord, you are a slave to his request. 
But instead, we try to tell God why he's wrong because he don't live in today. Is this, is this okay? Matthew 5, 17 says Jesus came to fulfill the law. This scripture just told us that God is love. Love fulfills the law. Love is what brings the law to the forefront of who we are. If I haven't found love in you, there is no point in following what the law tells me to do. The one who fulfills is love, and therefore you should look like the one who fulfills its requirements. You can tell me every scripture in the world, but if you don't have love, your knowledge don't mean a thing. And we come at a time in the church in Romans chapter 14 where they can quote, well, it's got to be kosher and you can't eat this and you can't eat that and this and this and this and this and this and this, but there's no love. Therefore, they had no Jesus in the church. And Paul's addressing it. You have got to stop being divided. Look at verse 3. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. God has accepted them. It is so easy to despise people who don't agree with you. And it's so easy for love to be lost in a moment of disagreement. Because the ones that get freedom, who are the spiritually mature in this passage, there is spiritual mature and spiritually immature. The issue is not maturity. The issue is letting... The, their immaturity to divide you. The ones who mature realize it don't matter what we eat, we saved. The ones who mature realize I don't have to do all this Jewish mumbo jumbo. I am grafted in as Jewish and I never have to be Jewish. I am Israel and I don't have a yarmulke on this bald head. We're grafted, all right. We're grafted in. We're adopted into the family of God. The immature are the ones who we've got to get every single thing right. And we've got those denominations in the world today. Well, you know, you can't cut your hair and you got to wear, you know, a a dress down to your ankles. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's this straight, you got to stick to this, stick to this, stick to this. But we do it in the non-denominational church. Well, if you ain't in a small group, then you ain't part of the house. Right? Or if you don't go through our membership class, you're not part of the house. I don't remember Jesus ever having a membership class. You know what his membership class was? Eat my body, drink my blood. And everyone left and some stayed. Maybe that should be the membership class at Relentless. You want to become a part of this family? Eat the, eat the body, drink the blood. Hashtag headlines. <laughs> now, I want to point something out here. I, I'm trying to build to something. I hope this is... Okay. We are talking about among the church... Under no circumstances are we to unify with someone who does not believe in truth. 
This is not talking about people who believe and people who don't. This ain't talking about the Christian church and the cult. This is talking about among the church. You see, in 2 Corinthians 6, it says this in verse 14. Don't team up. It doesn't say pray about it. Do not team up with those who are unbelievers. Now, I know this is getting to some of you because half of us got friends that are unbelievers. I'm going to address that in a minute. Don't be offended. Don't create separation because you feel like I'm coming against your friends. Hear me out. Shut up. <laughs> Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can be there between God's temple and idols? We are the temple of the living God, and God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Some versions say, do not be unequally yoked. Now, we always refer to this passage talking about marriage and relationships. But Paul is speaking about a lot more than just marriage and relationships. This is basically what Paul's saying. Don't embrace an environment where the world influences your thinking. Don't partner with and yoke yourself with an environment that's going to influence your thinking to get out of line with what you believe to be true. And a false love is allowing someone who denies your God to influence you to an action that also denies your God. Love is not, I'm just going to accept them because they don't believe in God. Love is, I'm not going to let you influence me, and until I get to the point where I can influence you, I'm going to have to separate and not be yoked. I've got friends who are not saved. But I see them maybe once or twice a year. Because I, if I'm around them every week, you're going to see a different cow. And some of you, I can tell when you're hanging out with people because you come into church and you a different you. Or if you hadn't been around believers to be edified and be encouraged. You come in and you look like you're about to die from depression and anxiety and you wonder why. Because you were never meant to do life alone. But this is, we clap, but this is what the church does. Someone comes in depressed and has had a bad week and they sit on the third row or on the back row and they look like they put on goth makeup and they look like they're depressed and they have no hope. And everyone in the church walks by the seat murmuring in their voice. I can't imagine what happened to them this week. And no one goes minister or loves the person who looks like they haven't been loved. And you call it unity because everyone else is in a place of praise God and Susie Sally's in the back row dying of depression. Did I say Susie Sally? <laughs> On the back row alone and beat and because you feel like you're more mature than that depressed person, they get lost in their depression because you don't know how to love. And the reason you didn't love is because I don't want them to drag me down. Drag them up. Yeah. 
Amen? Hmm. See, so often we get, we get these disagreements and trivial stuff. But we got to make sure there is a time to disagree and there's a time to just get over it. When do you get over it? You're talking about meat and veggies. When do you disagree? You're talking about hetero and homo. Okay. Don't got quiet on that one. I will not yoke with a church that says sin is okay. That's an okay divide. Where we get it wrong is I'm not going to unify with a church who doesn't believe in spiritual gifts. That's simply mature and immature. But the only way for them to mature is seeing people walk in gifts to actually love people who don't. Let me get even more real. I worked in the Pentecostal church about nine years before I started Relentless. You all know why I started Relentless? Because I knew church people. I didn't like any of them. Maybe some, maybe some. And every single person who was a mature believer in the Pentecostal church would always ask me the same question. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the get the tongues? And if I would say no, they talked to me like a third grader who just started believing in Jesus. Because they don't really care where you're at, they care about where they are. That's become an issue in the church. We find every reason to divide based off where we're at in our walk. The Apostle Paul even says that gift is to be the least coveted. You want to know why? Because it's probably the one that divides the most. Not because of Christ, because of you. The, the biggest displays of gifts is the easiest way to mark ourselves as better than. And God says, you can't do that anymore. Is this, is this making sense? Paul is addressing legalism. You are using your legalistic practices of what's better and what's not, and it causes a divide, and love is lost. And if love is lost, it doesn't matter how good you prophesy. It doesn't matter how many miracles happen through you. It ain't going to mean a thing in the end. Jesus even says it. Many will call on my name, perform miracles, prophesy, and do these things. But when they come to me, I will say to them, I did not know you. You want to know how he knows you or not? Do you know how to love? I don't care if you can tell me what happened to me three weeks ago at 3.02 p.m. If you don't love, shut your mouth and leave me alone. If love's not there, the gift don't matter. Y'all quiet. And it's to be noted, on the other side of this, just because you aren't legalistic doesn't make you better. Because it's just as easy to lift up your freedom as a way to think you're better over their legalism. 
Shouldn't the motive in your freedom be to lift others out with love? Not to exalt yourself above their traps? I'm not sure if this is blank stares. <laughs> Look at verse 4. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their old master will judge whether they stand or fail or fall. With the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Who do you think you are to condemn another believer for the way they practice their belief? God will judge what they do. And, you, and he says, you strict veggie lovers? Not, not in, you know, back in the day. I know you think they want the meat eaters. I know you don't think they're going to be able to stand up before God because they eat all that impure meat. But I assure you, God will help them stand and he will find them approved. In other words, none of us can stand on our own accord anyways. Let him bring them up. Not your condemnation as to why they're not as good as you. Judging how we live and judging sin are two separate issues. Everyone says we're not called to judge. True but incomplete. We are to judge what's right and wrong when it comes to sin so that we don't do it. Remove the plank in your eyes so that you can remove the plank in another brother's eye. The so that is where many people miss it. Well, you need to look at what's in your eye. Do it so that you can help judge what's in their eye. You judge the thing, not the person. You judge just because you say that's wrong doesn't mean you're judging a person's eternity or judging a person anyways. I can tell a homosexual all day what you do is wrong. That don't mean I don't love them. And that don't mean just because you're practicing homosexually, that does not mean I'm telling you you're going to hell. Because there's a lot of deacons who after a long day at church, they find themselves with a pint. And they think this is not as bad as that sin. Sin is always the same. The only difference is how far it separates you. I use the example all the time. Sin came from an archery term. It means one thing, you miss the target. A miss is a miss. But how far you are off target is the differentiator. And we love to look at what people do and say, you're worse than me, and you're worse than me. And because that's worse, God's going to give me grace in this. The grace God gives you is not to excuse your lifestyle. The grace God gives you is you don't deserve all of this I'm pouring out, so I'm gracing you with blood. I'm gracing you with covering. I'm gracing you with the debt of my body to make you worthy to carry me, to make you worthy to be my temple, not to live like you won't. And all we do is divide, divide, divide. Well, you got it wrong, and I can't walk with you, and y'all don't understand, and I can't. Get over yourself. I know that this probably isn't like the deepest thing. I've, I've given enough deep stuff. Sometimes we got to get practical, and we've got to stop doing the divide. 
it says if we get it wrong, God's going to help us stand. If it's giving glory to God and it's not sin, shut up and love them. Paul goes on in verse 5. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day. I hear that all the time. You don't mean on Sundays? Are you Seventh-day Adventist? Hear it every time. Some think one day is more holy than the other day, while others think every day is alike. Why divide over that issue? You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Why? Because you're doing it for the same reason, giving glory to God. The mature in that is understanding it don't matter what day it is. The immature is making a big deal about the day. But where mature people become immature is when you create a divide because of their lack of knowledge. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do it to honor him. Y'all know Southerners. They get fried chicken and macaroni and cheese and all this unhealthy stuff. And we all say the same thing. Lord, bless this to the nourishment of my body. I can just imagine God in heaven. I ain't blessing that. <laughs> y'all know, know I'm telling the truth. Those who eat any kind of food do it so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. <laughs> See, they had the same issues. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. Paul's confirming the teaching. He's not, this is not about the issue of eating. The root of this is a principle. And the principle is found in verse 5 and 6. In verse 5 it says, you should be each fully convinced. And in verse 6 says, do it to honor God. In other words, leave it up to the conscience of the individual as long as it's bringing glory to God and not an excuse to sin. Don't divide over these meaningless issues if they're doing it for the right reason. But there are certain issues we are called to divide over. Just because you think it's okay, don't mean it's okay. There's a difference in sin and a difference in your practice. For me, I, I, I get lost in music like we do in this house. If I went to the church I grew up with, I can name the, I'll, I'll say not the set list, but the bulletin list. Just as I am. You know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? I'll fly away. You ain't, you ain't getting wings when you die. Right? For me, when I hear that stuff, I get like a gag reflex in my spirit. But that don't mean my way is better than theirs. And that don't mean I'm more mature than them. Because they connect with God in their stuff. I connect with God in my stuff. And how dare we say, I feel sorry for you, when they're having the same experience with the Holy Spirit. 
And the more I talk, I feel like I'm preaching to myself in this message. Verse 7. We don't live for ourselves. We don't die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. All right, we get it, Paul. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and the dead. We don't live for ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. Everything we do is to bring glory to God who is Lord over everything. So in every decision you make, it's not about what you want. It's about what he wants. And the more you sacrifice your wants and desires, it no longer even becomes a conversation about what should I do. It will become your natural. Because we don't like to give up what we want. We call Jesus Lord, but he says, give up that drink, give up that magazine, give up that movie, give up that food, give up this, give up this. And we don't like to give up we want, give up what we want. So this is what we do in the church. I'll do it when I'm ready. If you have that mentality, you ain't never gonna be ready. It's like working out, from what I hear. <laughs> I've had many first days at the gym. And last. Right? <laughs> you start lifting weights, and it's not easy, and it's not natural, and quite frankly, I feel sorry for the people that watch me try to bench press on my first days at the gym because it probably looks ugly. <laughs> but if you make a practice of it over time, the first few weeks, you dread driving to the gym. Uh, this is going to be horrible. But then after you're done, I feel great. And when it gets in your lifestyle, you no longer have to convince yourself to go to the gym. You have a new desire to go there and do the thing that you did not like to do. It's the same thing with God. If he says give it up, you're not going to want to do it at first. And you're not going to like doing it for a while. But eventually he says, I will give you the desires of your heart. And that is going to become a new desire that you never had before. That's growing in your walk with God. It's not when I get ready. It's when you hear his voice tell you to stop or to start. We don't like to give up what we want. But as you're transformed, you're transformed into a new natural. His heart becomes your heart. So, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Everything, you, everything. The way you raise your kids, the way you treat your husband, the way you treat your wife. You can tell how much you love God by the way you treat other people. If you are so quick to dismiss their requests, I guarantee you never give his, his a shot. What does God say? You don't forgive your brother? I ain't going to forgive you. 
That's things for a lot of you because a lot of you got unforgiveness and you're wondering why God ain't working on your behalf. He told you, forgive them so that I can. It's no different than what was it um, uh, that they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, hey, don't look back. Because if you look back, I'm going to turn you into a pillar of salt. Typical American. That hurt. It's no different. Do it for me. The way you love people shows how you love God. And some of you don't look like you love God. Right? And some, and some of us are in this place right now where we're thinking, oh my gosh, this is like really beating me up. I must be a horrible person. No, God loves you enough to reveal the issues because he knows who you truly are. Verse 10, Romans 14. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee. Not just the mature, or let's go, let's go on the other side. It's not just people who didn't get it. Every single one of us, every knee will bend to me. Every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account. It's easy for strict people and free people to write each other off as non-spiritual because of comparison. You know what Paul says? Stop worrying about them because you've got enough to answer to for yourself. Because your knee is going to bow, your tongue is going to fest, and you're going to give a personal account for you, not them. And part of your personal account is how you love the ones that you tend to condemn. See, when Paul talks about the judgment seat, the word for judgment is actually bema, B-E-M-A. It was the seat spoken of at the Olympics in Greece. See, at the end of the games, it would come to the bema seat. And they would receive crowns for first, second, or third place based off of how they performed in the games. You see, the judgment seat is not about your salvation. The Bema seat is for believers to get on the seat so God can reward you for how you loved him on the earth. See, we get scared of judgment because we don't understand what judgment is. You, you think God says, accept me so that you can be saved, and he has to have another conversation about that just because you're before him in judgment? It's really simple. If you haven't accepted Jesus, there's nothing to judge. Because you have no reward. Judgment seat is for those who trusted in him, who believed him as Lord. Well, he said, I know you. Take your seat. Let's talk about rewards. And he says, when you get your mind accustomed to that knowledge, you're not going to 
think about how mature you are above everyone and how much better you are than that denomination and how much freer you are based off of that theology because you're going to have a new mindset. I want to stand before God at the Bema judgment seat so he can see what all I have done to give him glory, not try to prove myself as better than anyone. That makes all choices a whole different. Remember, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's how do you think about the choices you make? You're going to have to give an account for it. On the Bema seat. And it's going to prevent or grant eternal rewards. That's why he says, don't get obsessed with what you got here because those things ain't going to last. He talks about it in Matthew 5. Look at verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you, say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Like, why do we get surprised at that? He tells you it's going to happen. Then look at verse 12. Be happy about it. Be very glad because a great reward awaits you in heaven for when you get to the what? Judgment seat. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So let me, let me put it in a different way. If he says you receive a reward for being persecuted, why do you think he says overcome the evil of persecution with good so you don't rob yourself of reward? Because if someone persecutes you and calls you this and calls you that, God says, if you get glad about it and humble yourself and let me take the vengeance, a great reward's waiting on you. On the other side, if you take it in your own hands, you just rob God of the glory he wanted to place on you. Because while on the earth, he says, I will give you my authority. Exousia. I will give you the ability to determine what you do. And when you get before me, I'm going to show you exactly what you did for me, and I'm going to show you what you robbed yourself of. See, judgment's not about heaven or hell. Is this okay? Some of y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Just be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Verse 13. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. One of the biggest ways to cause someone to stumble is to discourage them and beat them down as a result of your comparison by your convictions. We're called to accept what's right and rebuke what's wrong, but that is in clear principles, not doubtful things that are simply left up to conviction. The Bible doesn't say you have to eat all kosher food to be made worthy. Jesus makes you worthy. But don't let that one tradition make you think you're better because you've gotten that far ahead. The Bible says, yes, you are spiritually more mature, 
but you rob yourself of that maturity when you create divide. We do this in life with people. They take on a lifestyle that you disagree with. So you throw all covenants out the window because it's about how it affects you, not how you're called to show love. Weigh everything by one thing. How can I show love in this situation? It's the most simple thing. Above all else, love. And then Paul goes on into the how. Look at verse 14. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone, believe it's, if, if someone believes it's wrong, for that person, it's wrong. If another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Y'all better not pull that crap on me at dinner tonight. Don't let your eating ruin someone from whom Christ died. Paul says you got two groups. One group strict to tradition. The other group, God ain't about religion. There are believers who are strong who understand it's not about legalism and it's not about tradition. There are also believers who are weak that their conviction is we need the traditions. Paul says, for those of you that are mature and are not legalistic and are not tradition-oriented, don't taunt your free convictions to make them feel less because of their immaturity. I want to be really clear about this. He says what's mature and what's not. If you're in legalism, you're immature. If you're free, you're mature. If you're in your maturity, you have an obligation. Walk them out of their immaturity, not create a divide where they will never allow your voice into their life. That's the divide in the church. Well, they think they're better than me. And because of that, they'll never heed your word. Don't taunt your convictions to make them feel as they're, that theirs is less because both of you are doing it in your way to give glory to God. The point, the goal is for the church to be unified. Don't let your freedom cause a stumble. Help develop them. Jesus gave his life up for you. Are you willing to meet them where they're at in their weakness to help develop them rather than rebuke them because you want to get and see an immediate change? Because that's what we do in the church. If they don't change immediately, we rebuke them. And we tell them why they're wrong. Thank God Jesus did not do that with me. He meets you where you're at and tries to take you on a journey. Think about Peter. First time he met Peter, Peter was fishing. And what I mean by fishing, he was casting nets out there and not catching a dang thing. And he did it all night, all day. And finally Jesus comes out and says, hey, cast on the other side. Peter's like, I've been doing it this all day. Dude, would you just cast the net 
Peter casts it. What happened? All the fish. So he leaves it. He walks with Jesus. See Jesus get dead man to walk out of their grave and healing the lame and, 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 and curing the blind and, and all this casting demons out, taking five loaves and, and, and two fish and, 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 and feeding thousands of people. And then he dies. And he says, I'm coming back. And, and then he dies and Peter's like, I'm going fishing. He went back to the thing he couldn't do three years prior. When Jesus goes to find him, Jesus didn't get up on the shore and say, man, why, why are you doing this again? He didn't get up on the shore and say, Peter, I, I told you three years ago. You know, if you read the scripture, you know what Jesus does? He meets him where he's at. He has the exact same conversation that saved him three years prior. He says, hey, you caught anything? See, Jesus will have the exact same conversation with you over and over and over because he's not trying to necessarily point out that you suck. <laughs> he, he, he is trying to get you awake to the fact that there's something more. And he loves you enough to have the conversation again and again and again and again and again. And you know what we're called to do with immature people? Have the conversation with them again and again and again and meet them where they're at instead of rebuking them for their immaturity. That's why there's divide in the church. Because we look at people and just, you don't know, you don't know. What is the point of telling them they don't know? Lead them out of their unknowing just like Jesus did with Peter. Most stumbling blocks come from that we don't have the love, we don't to actually have and the patience to see them through their immaturity and develop them. And then Romans 14, 16 says this. If you do this, then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. He says, if you honor them, they're going to honor you. If you condemn them, they'll condemn you. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you'll please God and others will approve of you too. Get your priorities in line with the kingdom. A life of goodness and peace and joy. And you don't get goodness and peace and joy when you condemn and judge people on their practice. You don't get goodness and peace and joy when someone tries to talk to you about your immaturity and you condemn them because you don't like the fact that you're being called out about your shortcomings. They love you enough to have the conversation with you. We talked about this in men's group Thursday night. We always think that the word fellowship means we're friends and we break bread together. But when you look at the fellowship of believers in Acts, that word actually means 
such a covenant with each other that you're willing to accept edification and rebuke because you know the purpose is to grow together. And when I'm talking about rebuke, I'm talking about, hey, man, I see that you're not that great in this area. Or I see that you're doing this and God's not calling you to do that. Fellowship is, I'm going to accept that instead of dividing myself between us. Because you're in a fellowship of I want to grow. And if I want to grow, I need those I'm in fellowship with to show me where I need growth. It's not condemnation. It's the love for us to come alive in Christ. If I don't love you, I don't want to consume myself with helping you grow. True love is I want to see you grow into what you're called to be, not what you become satisfied with. Verse 19, so then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build up each other. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. He says, let us aim for harmony, unity in the church, and build each other up. How? Don't get caught up in trivial stuff like, like you think this is pure and you don't think that that's pure. His everything is an acceptable offering to God when it comes from a sincere heart. And you can see if a heart is sincere by lining up their giving glory to God with Scripture. Because you can't just call glory, glory. You can't make up your own truth. I know that this is comical and try not to laugh, but this is serious. I hear this generation all the time excuse pot by saying, well, it grows from the ground, so why isn't it godly? You know what I tell them? God cursed the ground. And we have to use wisdom in what we take from the ground and what we leave to the ground. And if it prevents me from seeing clearly, that's the curse. People love to, you can't just call it glory because you love doing it. It's got to line up with the word. There are those who are sincere in seeking. And then there are those who just pursue him casually. When you're surrounded with sincere, humble yourself to where their convictions lie. Even if it's not as mature as yours. So that the enemy cannot use that as a stumbling block for divide. Paul's not saying cater to legalism. He didn't. Remember, there were Christians from a Jewish background who were that they, they, they were offended that Gentiles weren't circumcised. Paul didn't make them all get circumcised to meet them where they were at. He's saying, don't cater, but don't exalt either. Don't think you're better because you have a different lifestyle choice. Unify in the cause for Christ. Honor each other's convictions. It all comes down to this in Romans 12.10. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family and try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Just outdo each other with honor. 
Don't call someone to stumble by exalting your convictions above theirs because of your preference. You stronger believers, you're the more mature believers who get it, give them grace. Honor them in what they do not know yet. Meet them where they're at. You know, if someone had the conviction of we have to do hymns and I'm called to go preach at that church, I'm not going to say I'm not going to give you a word because I can't connect with your hymns. You know what I'll do? I will surrender my need for my kind and meet you at your kind so that I can get permission to bring you out of an immature state into a mature state. That's what it means when it says eat what they eat. Stop talking about change the lifestyle. Talk about honoring them when they're at so that you earn permission to speak truth. If someone is not in a maturity of they can spend hours in prayer, don't think you're going to help mature them by making them sit with you for an hour and pray. And don't make them feel like they're less than by talking about your extensive prayer life. Y'all ever been there? Well, I pray every day for two hours. Well, bless you. <laughs> Meet them where they're at and encourage them. Well, I only pray five minutes a day. That's awesome. You're talking to God? You earn permission for them to take you out of where they're at. We don't like to earn. That's the American culture. We want immediate. We want now. We don't like patience and we don't like to earn. That's where we got to be with each other. In the last few verses, in Romans 14, verse 22, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Keep it between yourself and God. I love how bold scripture is. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. Now, this can, be, this can be confusing. Listen to this. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they decide is right. If you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. You're not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you're sinning. You see, there is a blessed place where you live in areas of your life where you're in such a freedom that you're not convicted of the thing you're doing. I don't, I don't get convicted by eating meat. Ever. <laughs> it's not because they decided it in their own thinking. They decided this thing based on their relationship with God. Right? There are places in your life where you don't, I, if I can be real, I'm not convicted that I don't start off with an hour of prayer a day. Now, maybe I'm not there yet. Keep it to yourself. I'm just quoting scripture. Because where my convictions are at, I'll give God sometimes five to ten, sometimes thirty, sometimes one. And then I carry that prayer throughout my day as if the conversation never stopped. Amen don't mean my prayer's done. Amen means, amen means so be what I said. 
And everyone has their own convictions about that. Don't exalt what you do above them to make yourself seem better. Meet them where they're at. You know, the fact is, everyone in this room has come here for one purpose. We're all hungry. Don't compare your hunger to someone else's as if you're better, which will cause a divide. Well, they just don't get... Shut up. <laughs> Unity. Harmony. But look at what it says. It says, there are others that are challenged by God to give up this or give up that. And they're doubting, does God want me to do it or not? You ever been in that place where you wonder, is this God's voice telling me to stop? You know what the scripture says? If you have doubt about if it's right or not, and you keep doing it, that's sin. I know it's like a elementary, maybe for some of you, definition, but look, think about the doubt of should I have one more drink? If that's a doubt in your conscience, if you did it, it don't matter if it's drunkenness. It's did you do it with the doubt? Is this show bad for me or not? Is this movie okay to watch? If there's a doubt in it and you did it, it's sin. Because you are not being led by convictions or conscience. You're being led by what you want to do. But just because you have overcome what they're doubting about, don't think that you're better than they are because you've gotten further. Walk them through it. And don't judge them for it. If we would get more obsessed with walking people through and out of their immaturity, can you imagine how unified the church would be? Basically, when it comes down to this, there's no gray areas. You've got to follow your conviction. And if you can't do it without feeling a check, Paul says it's sin. So stop justifying what you want over the conviction of the conscience that you claim is the Holy Spirit. You will be judged on that. Not for salvation, but rewards waiting on you. Did I make the decision? You see, we need to have one focus, people. Unity and love for the glory of God. No gray areas. There's no we're better than them. There's no I'm above what they are. There's no, well, they don't come to church as often as me. And there's no like, look at the way they praise and look at the way I praise. No, no, no. We're all in this for the glory of God. Meet people where they're at instead of lording yourselves over them based off of where you're at. Let us all come together instead of embracing divide so that he's glorified in all things. It's really quite simple. Love people. Love people. Not making an excuse for sin. Being what we're called to be to the world. Jesus. We've got to get out of this day where we think that because we're mature, we have the right to cause them to doubt themselves. 
had to learn that. I used to be so narrow-minded in my thinking that if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong because I've studied. You know, I, you know, I came to learn one day, they study too. We're called to be a type of church where iron sharpens iron. There's stuff that you need to learn. There's stuff that I need to learn. But we're never going to be humble enough to learn it unless we position ourselves in a way that doesn't exalt ourselves above people. When we begin to humble ourselves to seeking him above all things, that's where the harmony in the church comes from. So I just simply encourage each and every one of you, stop comparing, start listening. Ask God, how do I pour myself into this person? How do I show them the love of God? How do I walk them through their immaturity? It's not about pointing out how great you are. It's about pointing out how great he is. We do that, we will see unity in the church. Amen.